Good morning, everyone. Praise God that we can be here one more Sunday before Jesus comes back. Who knows, this may be our last Sunday before Jesus comes back. Hey, our next Sunday will be in the real place. Uh, don't quote me. I'm just saying it might happen, okay? Anyway, I'm sure you've been blessed by this series about change makers. And again, just a couple of reminders of what this series is about, especially if you've joined us for the first time, whether here or online. Changemakers is about how God, being the ultimate change maker, uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So Changemakers is not a feel-good, motivational, it's-all-about-me kind of series. It's a series that's all about God. But it's all about God who uses people, and therefore we have the privilege of being His instruments, as it were, His channels of blessing, of His presence, of His power here on earth, despite our weakness and in spite of the many mistakes we've done. Isn't that kind of the pattern that we've seen so far? With one exception, of course, when we talked about Jesus, the ultimate change maker, last Resurrection Sunday. Now. <clears throat> you, did you notice one thing common about all of the change makers we've talked about so far? They have all been men. Did you notice that? Or were you absent sometimes? They have all been men. What do you think if today we talk about a female, a woman change maker? Is that okay? Ladies, are you happy? We'll talk about a woman change maker. Gentlemen, do you think we can learn from the women in the Bible? Wait, I asked the men. <laughs> Gentlemen, do you think we can learn from the women in the Bible? Yes. As a matter of fact, we can learn from women at any time in history. Let me tell you. Some of the most important lessons I learned in my life as a Christian about faith and about courage, I learned them from my wife. So gentlemen, remember, we can learn a lot from women. And all of us today, men and women alike, we will learn about an amazing, ordinary woman that God used to be a what? Change maker. But before we go there, since I mentioned my wife, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. She and I went to the same university. Although we were there, at, uh, we, we didn't belong to the same batch. But uh, in that university, you get to choose what PE, physical education subject, you will take every semester. And on one semester, I don't know why, I don't remember the explanation. She told me this story a long time ago. She chose swimming. Now, my wife didn't exactly like swimming. She enjoyed, you know, being in the beach or in the pool, but swimming was not exactly her uh, cup of tea, so to speak. So I don't know why she chose it, but maybe there was no other option. It was the only subject open. And the final exam in the PE class in that university was to jump off a high diving board. Something like this. 
Okay, now this is not the actual event, okay? I just, I just got this from the internet. So it's something like that. Now, for those of you who may have known my wife, you know she's a very brave and courageous lady. She is not afraid of heights. But, you know, being on a diving board and jumping off a diving board are two different things. Would you agree? So, if I remember her story correctly, as she stood at the edge of that diving board, she realized maybe or somebody realized she needed a little help in fulfilling the final exam. So, if I remember the story correctly, somebody... Okay, and final exam was over. And maybe somehow I can only imagine, ah, very long, you know, psh, but final exam finished because somebody gave her a little push. Now, let me ask you, has it ever happened in your life that God brought you to the edge of something, something that He wanted you to do? Okay, maybe it's forgive someone or ask for forgiveness or maybe even rebuke somebody in love or maybe, uh, most importantly to our mission, share the gospel with somebody and maybe even begin discipling that person. Has God ever put you, brought you to the edge to the point where maybe you needed a little push? Well, this morning, maybe this message will be the push that you need. But sometimes we do need that push, right? So we're going to look at the life story of an amazing woman. But before we do that, a little bit of a historical background so we know the setting. If you remember last week's message about Daniel that Pastor Marty shared with us, he mentioned that at one point in Israel, particularly Judah's history, the southern kingdom, they were taken over by the Babylonians and were brought into exile, okay? So um, in terms of ge geography, they were taken from here to round about this area. But in the in amazing uh, fulfillment of God's prophecy, 70 years later, thereabouts, the Medes and the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And so in exactly 70 years after the exile, the first Persian king told the Jews that were in Babylon, he told them, you can now go back to Jerusalem to rebuild your wall, your temple, your homes. Not everybody went back. Many of them went, but not everyone. So in other words, there were still many Jews now within the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. As a matter of fact, when Pastor Marty spoke about Daniel chapter 6, it was no longer the Babylonian king that Daniel was serving. Do you remember? Okay, I'll pretend that you remember. That was already a Persian king. So today's story is set in Susa, which is within the empire of the Medes and the Persians. As you can see, it was a huge, huge empire, geographically speaking. And you know what? Our, um, our story today, it is, it is really like a movie. It is like, oh, I tell you, it's better than anything you've seen on Netflix or K-drama or whatever, okay? But so in that, in that um, spirit, let me introduce to you the cast of characters. Right at the beginning of the movie, they show you the cast of characters. Okay, so this is our cast, the main characters. Our change maker for today is who? 
Esther. Anybody here named Esther? Yes, your name is Esther. Praise God. That's a wonderful name. Uh, but actually, she had a, another name, a Hebrew name. This was not her real Hebrew name, but we all know her as Esther from the book. And she eventually became queen, as you heard in the story earlier. And then we have King Ahasuerus, otherwise known as King Xerxes. King Ahasuerus discovered or invented the intravenous line. That's how smart he was. He discovered, he said, Ahasuerus. No. Anyway. Now you're awake. <laughs> Obviously a joke, okay? So King Ahasuerus, uh, Mordecai was Esther's cousin. Some say uncle, but more importantly, he was her uh, adoptive father. And Haman, or Haman, is <laughs> the contrabida. You still know that term, contrabida, the bad guy, okay? So these are the main characters of the story. And then when you look at the book of Esther, like I said, it's, um, it's not, it, of course, it's a book in the Bible. And when you read through it, it's, like I said, it's, it's more alive and vibrant than anything you've ever watched in a movie. It has romance and suspense and irony and comedy and twists and turns and good versus evil. But there's one strange thing about the book of Esther. And it's one, I believe, of two books in the Bible that does not, okay, does not mention the name of God. Do you realize that there is a book in the Bible that does not mention God? Well, Esther is that book. But, you see, just like our lives, our lives are like that book. Our lives have hopefully some romance, suspense, comedy, etc., etc. But especially when we come into trials, difficulties in life, we ask the question, and sometimes we're embarrassed to express it, but where is God in this picture? Have you ever been in that situation where you said, Lord, I know you're real. I mean, we sang that song, you're God alone, you're on your throne, etc. But in my situation, are, are you really there? But the book of Esther will teach us, even when we cannot see God, when we cannot perceive Him, we know His hand is behind everything. Are you excited about the story of Esther? Are the ladies excited? Are the gentlemen excited? I think I have to tell you another joke to wake you up again. But anyway, so let's begin. Of course, we'll be skipping over a lot of, you know, verses and parts of chapters because Esther is several chapters long, but let's begin here. <clears throat> uh, now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. Okay, so this is a long time ago. Okay, these are the ancestors of Mordecai. But now we're talking about the King Xerxes or Ahasuerus in the, the, the Medo-Persian Empire. So he, that's Mordecai, was bringing up Hadassah. This is Esther's Hebrew name. Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother, 
And now the young lady was beautiful of form and face. Yeah, pang Miss Universe. Beautiful of form and face. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Now, what happened next? So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard and many young ladies were gathered to the citadel of Susa, remember that part I showed you in the map, into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai who was in charge of the women. What is the backstory here? Okay, we can't read all the verses. The backstory here is that there was a queen named Vashti. And the king, at some point in chapter 1, had a party. And he summoned the queen to appear in the party. But for whatever reason, Queen Vashti did not come. She basically disobeyed the king. And so, the king fired his wife. Okay ba? Don't get any ideas. But basically fired her, said, you're no longer the queen, you know, under the advice of his uh, counselors and so forth. And so the search began. And the search was for the new queen. This is more exciting than American Idol. So they got all the most, the best-looking women in the whole Medo-Persian Empire. And guess who was one of those? What's her name? Esther. And look at this. Remember, I told you, there's romance. Mm -hmm. The king loved Esther more than all the women. And she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Folks, this was Esther's appointment with destiny with God's plan for her life. She had no clue this was going to happen. But what is the message to you and to me today based on this story? This is the title of our message today. Your time is now. Everybody say, Tell the person next to you. Okay, what in the world do we mean? Your time is now. We don't even know what it means. Well, two things. Number one, if you are already a follower of Jesus, your time is now means that God has something for you to do. There is no such thing as a true Christian follower of Jesus with no assignment. Because we have at least one clear assignment, and that is go make disciples. Number two meaning of your time is now. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, Be honest enough to admit that. Your time is now means today, Jesus wants to make the biggest difference in your life. Not tomorrow. Now. Are we clear so far? Okay, very good. So there are three things, three points to our message today of our time is now. One is the sovereignty of God, then surrender to God and stand in the gap. And everything flows from the first one, the sovereignty of God. 
Last week, Pastor Marty talked about conviction. Our conviction needs to stand on the truth. And the truth that we base our convictions on is the Bible. And the Bible says God is sovereign in all situations. And so, because God is sovereign, we can surrender to Him because He's always on the throne. Yes? And because we surrender to a sovereign God, we will do what He wants us to do. And in this world that is decaying and dying and in need of a Savior, we will stand in the gap, meaning we will intercede for people who need to know Jesus, we will introduce them to Jesus, we will help them enter into a relationship with Jesus, and we will help them grow. That's what these three points mean. And believe it or not, we can learn all these things from the story of Esther. So let's continue. First, sovereignty of God. Where do we see the sovereignty of God at work in the life of Esther? Okay, before we talk about her, let's talk about her tatay tatayan, okay, her adoptive father, Mordecai. <clears throat> in those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigtan and Teresh, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Okay, in Tagalog, you call this Bantay Salakai. Two guards at the door, the king's officials who guarded the door, for whatever reason, they became angry and they wanted to kill the king. What happened? But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, by this time she was already queen, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. You know, amazing, this turn of events. Have you ever heard of the Mossad, the Israeli Secret Service? One of the best secret service organizations in the whole world. I think Mordecai was the original Mossad agent. Imagine, he's just sitting there, but he learns about the plot. So God let him know. Now what happened? Verse 23, Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged, meaning these two guys, Big Tan and Teresh. They were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. Why is this important? Wait, I'm telling you, this is like a movie. Okay, you put this in the back of your mind. We will get back to this later. In the meantime, chapter 3. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted, who is this guy? Bad news. Haman, the son of Hamedatha the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. It's not clear in the story why King Ahasuerus was so, I guess, in favor of this guy. But you and I will know, or as we may have already seen in the earlier reading, this guy, Haman, he is just full of himself. He is uh, ambitious, selfishly ambitious, and will stop at nothing to get what he wants. His life is all about him. Okay, now, it says here, he is a descendant of an Agagite. 
It is said in most commentaries that that means that Haman, uh, you see, a long time ago, one of the arch enemies of the Jews were the Amalekites, and they had a king named Agag. So in other words, it's just accentuating the fact that an Agagite or descendants of the Amalekites were really enemies of the Jewish people, okay? So in the meantime, so here is Haman. He now becomes the number two guy in the whole Medo-Persian Empire. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king commanded concerning him. But look at our secret agent, Mordecai. Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. So where do we see the sovereignty of God in all of this? You wait. I told you there's suspense. Okay. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. I tell you, this guy is an egomaniac. Okay? But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him, you know, a lot of people were sip-sip to Haman. What's sip-sip in English? I really don't know. I'm, 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 anyway, so they told Haman, uh, you know, Mordecai is a Jew. And there's lots of Jews in the Medo-Persian Empire. So, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were, therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. My goodness, he's mad at one guy and yet he wants to exterminate the whole Jewish race. Do you get what kind of person this guy is? The people of Mordecai who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Wow, this is bad news. So what happened? Okay, let me show you a visual. So, Haman now goes to King Ahasuerus. Now, which one of them do you think is Haman? Ah, the guy with the beard. No, no. The guy with the beard wearing the golden crown. Uh, well, okay. The guy in the blue shirt. Yan. Okay, that's Haman, according to this storybook, okay? So Haman brings to King Ahasuerus what he thinks is an amazing plan. He said to the king, King Ahasuerus, do you know that in your kingdom, there are so many people, they're called Jews. They have different laws. They don't follow your laws. They are useless, if not even maybe dangerous. So, why don't we just get rid of them? We exterminate all of them. Do you realize that this, is what, this was a diabolical scheme to destroy God's chosen people even before the Holocaust? Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. So, oh, by the way, all right, so let, let, me, let me show you more of the conversation. So Haman said, if it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And then Haman says, I will pay. I will pay the cost, 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put it into the king's treasuries. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman. It's like, okay, Haman, you can sign this for me. That's how much power 
the king gave Haman, the son of Hamadetha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Notice now how he's described. The king said to Haman, the silver is yours and the people also to do with them as you please. By the way, just a side lesson, okay? If you are in a position of some influence, government, private sector, or even in your home, or even in your ministry, be careful about the people you trust. Choose your people well. Okay, don't just, you know, hear what they say and assume it's okay. You pray, you pray for wisdom and discernment. I, I really think, well, like we said, God is sovereign. Okay, so we don't understand why the king trusted Haman so much, but these were the unfolding events. So what do you think happens next? So here we see the hand of God moving. But so far, is the, good, is the news good or is the news bad? It's very bad. So let's now go to the next. If we believe God is sovereign, even when the news is bad, we surrender to him. Good so far? Okay. Let's see what happens. Chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done. Now I tell you, this guy is really a secret agent. When he learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. But you know, the truth is, the announcement was made all throughout. That's why here it says, in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. This was the deepest and darkest day, perhaps uh, after the Babylonian exile, for the people of God, for the Jewish people. And they were just so devastated, so helpless. And you know, you ask yourself, where is God in all this? Why is he allowing this to happen? In the meantime, Mordecai gave Hatak a eunuch. Okay, a eunuch is, you know, like one of those guys who attend to the ladies in waiting. If you don't know what a eunuch is, just Google it, okay? I don't have, I don't want to describe it right here, but anyway. A copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show Esther and inform her. You see, during that time, there were no cell phones. So Hatak became the human cell phone between Mordecai and Esther. He became the messenger. So Mordecai wanted Hatak to give a message to Esther. And he says, and to order her to go in to the king to implore, to beg his favor and to plead with him for his people. So that was Mordecai's message to Esther through their intermediary. Now, what happened next? Then Esther spoke to Hatak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. But anyway, so you have this other uh, character there, Hatak. And it says, she told him, you tell my tatai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, in other words, no appointment, 
no approved appointment by the king, what will happen? He has but one law, that he be put to death. And there's only one exception. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter. The golden scepter of the king. If he holds it out, you will not die in case you come into his presence without an appointment. I said, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. So in other words, you know what I appreciate about Esther? Is that she was real. Taong tao siya. So she had her apprehension. She didn't just say to, to Hatak, tell Mordecai, okay, I will do it for my people. She said, wait, don't you realize if I go in there without an appointment and the king doesn't hold out his golden scepter, finished book of Esther in chapter 4. So I appreciate this aspect of Esther. She's just being real. Just like you and I, when we face frightening things in our lives. You know, even the psalmist wrote, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. How many times did God tell Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged? God knows we feel these things. And Esther felt it herself. But what happened next? Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. You see, before, her being a Jew was not disclosed. But of course, now everything will be out in the open. And this is our memory verse. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this verse. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So now we see the sovereignty of God. We, we're beginning to see the picture form. And now we're hearing Mordecai Knowing that Esther is now at the edge of that diving board, he's now giving her the, the push. And you know what I appreciate about Mordecai? A few things that we can learn from what he said. First of all, I really believe Mordecai believed in the promise of God to Abraham. God promised Abraham, I will make you a great nation and you will be a blessing to the nations. So I believe in Mordecai's heart he knew God would do something to save the Jews. That's why he said, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. The other thing I appreciate and I think you and I can learn from what Mordecai said is that God does not need you or me. But he wants to use us. So it is a privilege. That's why he said, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? In other words, Esther, do you think it's really a coincidence that you became the queen? 
or don't you see the hand of God in all of this? Now, how does that apply to you and me? It is no coincidence that God put us wherever we are in our small, large, or medium-sized circle of influence today. Remember what is our message today? Your time is now. And sometimes the prodding of the Lord to do whatever it is He wants us to do may come in the most unexpected times or in our minds the most imperfect timing. Let me explain to you what I mean. I know I shared this with you a, a few times already, but two years ago was probably the darkest time of my life. Both my wife and I got COVID, you know, the really bad kind. She was hospitalized. In a few days, I got the phone call that I never wanted to get, and that was your wife has gone into cardiac arrest, and basically uh, no revival was possible. And then a day or two after that, I went to be confined for about nine days or so. And there was not, you know, it's like, what's happening? My world was upside down and I had hardly any time to grieve because I was fighting the disease myself. And, but you know what? In that hospital, one of our two helpers, our house help, was with me. She became, she was my caregiver. She was also with my wife until the day she passed in the hospital. So this caregiver was with me. And as I was recovering, the Lord prompted me, you share the gospel with her. It's like, now is the time. And so, in spite of everything that was happening, I called her aside. I told her about Jesus. That day, she gave her life to Jesus. Now, you want to clap? Yeah, sure. Give God the glory. It's not about me. So a few days later, we go home. It's so different. The house is so quiet. I missed the infectious laughter of my wife. But God told me, you see, we had a second helper waiting at home. And God impressed on my heart, you share the gospel with her. So I shared the gospel with her. She gave her life to Jesus. Up to this day, they are faithfully joining CCF online, and by the grace of God, a wonderful godly woman has offered to actually take them through Bible study on a regular basis. So that's just a small example of how God's timing can seem very odd, and yet when He brings you to that edge and He provides a little push, we can say, Lord, it's okay. I'll step off the diving board myself. Why? Because you're sovereign. Why? Because I'm surrendered to you. Are we good, people of God? Are we learning something from Esther's story? Yes, we are. You bet. So let's go. Continue. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Now remember, she surrendered said, Lord, yes, okay. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, 
I perish. Surrender to God. Why? Because He is sovereign. Okay, change of scenery. Let's now go back to our favorite contrabida. Who's this guy? Haman. You know, when the Jews celebrate this, uh, when they commemorate this event, even today, when they mention the name Haman, everybody is, you know, like, ah, boo. Because this, this guy was really bad news. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Haman's way of thinking. So, here is Haman. He's now the number two guy in the kingdom, in the empire. And then he, the king approved without thinking the extermination of the Jews. And he's, you know, he's got so much money and power and all that. Then he goes home to his wife, Zeresh, you can see in the picture, and his dabarkads, uh, his, his friends. And then he says, you know, yeah, you know, I've accomplished so much, blah, blah, blah. But then he said something. He said, yet all of this, all of my wealth, my power, my fame, all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Why? Because he would not bow down to Haman. Okay. Side comment, side lesson. Number one, be careful whom you marry. Sinong single? Singles, where are you? Singles? Be careful whom you marry. I'm not scaring you. I'm just saying be careful. You ask God for a really godly woman, godly man. Okay? You will see later why this is important. At the same time, everyone in this room, choose your friends carefully. Look at what happened here. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows 50 cubits high made, and in the morning, ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Boss, 50 cubits, 75 feet high. That's like you want the whole town to see. Mordecai hanging on a noose. That was their idea. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. See, there was a banquet arranged by Esther. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Do you sense the suspense mounting? What's going to happen next? You know, if you watch series, usually this is where the episode ends. And then there's something there. Watch next episode? Because the suspense is mounting. Anyway, what happened? Okay, change scene. Let us now go into the king's bedroom. Oh, the king's bedroom. What happened there? Well, remember, we started with the sovereignty of God. God gave King Ahasuerus divine royal insomnia. The king could not sleep. And so when he finally got up, got up from bed, he called his assistants. And somehow God put it in his mind to remember Mordecai. And so the king asked his assistants, uh, can you bring out the, you know, the books? Remember we read at the beginning what Mordecai did 
where he told the king through Esther about the two assassins. And it says there, it was recorded in the chronicles of the king. So the king said, you remember this guy, uh, this guy's name, the, um, the one who told us about the assassins, Mordecai. Yeah, Mordecai, yeah, Mordecai. Yeah, so I owe him my life, right? Yes, sir. Uh, what did we ever do for the guy? I mean, did we ever reward him or acknowledge him or send him a fruit basket or something? <laughs> Basically, well, his assistants told him, actually, sir, we did not do anything for him. We did not. Aha! So the king began to think. He said to his assistants, who is in the court? Okay, in other words, my office. Who's there now? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows which he had prepared for him. Can you imagine the sovereignty of God? Here's Haman going to talk to the king about the gallows, and here's the king who could not sleep and now learns that there was no reward given to Mordecai. Can you imagine a more amazing script? You know, if a human being wrote this, we would say, oh, that's so hard to believe, nobody will buy it. But who wrote this script? Who wrote this script? God, the sovereign God. So what happens? So Haman came in and the king said to him, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, aha, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? I told you there's comedy and there's irony. So the king, he's thinking of who? Mordecai. Haman is thinking of who? Himself, like always. Okay, let's see what happens next. Then Haman said to the king, remember Haman is thinking Shayun. Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse on which the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes, maybe the number three person, right? And let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done for to the man whom the king desires to honor. Wow! Haman was so excited. <laughs> okay, let's close in prayer and uh, come back next week. Okay. Then the king said to Haman, Take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai. <laughs> Mordecai, the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short. Haman, everything you told me, I approve. You better do it to the letter. <clears throat> do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. So Haman, can you imagine his face? took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus it shall be done to the person king's honor. I don't think he was very enthusiastic when he said that. 
Well, folks, after this very humiliating thing, remember I told you earlier, choose, be very careful whom you marry, be very careful who your friends are. Why? I'll show you now. Haman went home, recounted to Seresh, his wife, and all his friends, the same people from a while ago, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, you know what they, what I'm sure he was hoping is, hey man, it's okay, here's another idea, you know. But look at what they said to him. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Well, thanks a lot. Choose your spouse carefully. Choose your friends carefully. But again, going back, this is about the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> it's about being surrendered to God's plan. And finally, what's our third point? Stand in the gap. That's what God was bringing Esther to the edge to do. That's why she became queen. So, chapter 7, <clears throat> the king said to Esther as they drank at the banquet. Remember, the, there was a banquet that was set up by Esther. In the banquet were Esther, the king, and Haman. A very private affair. Now, in this banquet, amazing, God put it in the mind of King Ahasuerus. What is your petition, Queen Esther? Ding! You know, for 30 years, I was in the life insurance industry, marketing and sales. We call this buying signal. In other words, it's like, eto na, this is the opportunity, grab it. What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. <clears throat> then Queen Esther replied, we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, who is he? And where is he who would presume to do thus? You know, I, I don't know about the king, if he had amnesia or whatever it is, but anyway, this is the amazing dialogue, right? So who, who is he? Who would presume to do this? Esther said, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Ta-da! Now the plot is revealed. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. And you know what happened here? So King Ahasuerus was so upset, he stood up and he left the room. And when the king left the room, here comes Haman trying to beg the queen for mercy. But what happened was, he fell all over the queen. And then King Ahasuerus comes back into the room, and he says, what are you doing with my wife? So things were really getting worse for Haman. And then it says, then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who were before the king said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him 
on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Is God sovereign? Is it worth surrendering to God? But wait. So Haman is dead. Yeah? But there is still the order to exterminate the Jews. Oh, that's why Esther does not end in chapter 7. So let's go now. What's after chapter 7? Wow. Very good, huh? Chapter 8. <clears throat> then Esther spoke again to the king. Now, this time she really took a risk. Because remember, this is the law. If you come in without an appointment approved by the king, no matter who you are, right? So wept, implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite and his plot which he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. Then she said, If it pleases the king, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the son of Hamadetha, Hamedatha the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people, and how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? You see, when the king issues an edict and it is um, validated by his signet ring, King Ahasuerus himself it can, said it cannot be revoked. So you have now to issue a new law on top of that. Okay, so what happened? So his advice, the king said, now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. I guess he took it back from Haman, right? <laughs> For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. Okay, so let's do that. Now, since Mordecai was now exalted before the king, and you can read more of that on your own time in the rest of the book, it says, Mordecai wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horses riding on steeds sired by the royal stud. In them the king granted the Jews. Okay, this was the essence of the new edict. The king granted the Jews who were in each and every city all throughout the Medo-Persian Empire the right to assemble and to defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them. And we are told elsewhere in the book that God caused the fear of the Jews to fall upon the people throughout the empire to the point where many people converted to become Jews just so that they would not be in danger. Do you see how the plot has flipped? Is God amazing or what? So, but this was the solution. You have to write an edict, and now it was sent out, 
And here we come to chapter 9. Therefore, they call these days Purim, after the name of Pur. Purim, well, it, it basically means uh, lots. Lots meaning like casting of lots or drawing of lots. Usually to discern divine will. In other words, people just acknowledge that this is all God's doing. This could not have been ever humanly orchestrated. <clears throat> so it's, <clears throat> they call these days Purim, so these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, and these days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews or their memory fade from their descendants. The command of Esther established these customs for Purim, and it was written in the book. That's why even up to this day, not long ago, just a few weeks ago, I think, they celebrated the Feast of Purim up to this day among Jews and in Israel. So, folks, nice story, right? Oh, wait a minute. Did we just get together here to hear a nice story? Remember the message, your time is now. What is the application to you and to me? Well, to give us a clue what the application may be, especially when it comes to our mission on earth to make disciples, I'd like you to hear from a sister of ours, Grace. Grace, will you come and share your story with us, please? Let's welcome Grace Jan Flores, and let's be blessed by God's story through her life. Good morning. My name is Grace Jan Flores. Growing up, I became afraid of two things, failing in life and dying. I thought I was the solution to my family's problems. Death, for me, was a constant reminder of the end, which pushed me to mature early in life. Additionally, I had difficulty in forgiving my dad because of the deep pain he caused on my mom. He had affairs with other women, was often out of the house, and came home drunk. My dad was a constant source of chaos in the family, making unwise financial decisions that led us into serious debt. I thought I had figured out success by consistently doing good works and religious rituals to stay holy until a group of Jesus followers came to visit my batch during my board exam review. They shared what Jesus had done on the cross, becoming the greatest solution for our greatest problem, sin. At that moment, I realized I had not fully surrendered my life to Christ because I was acting as the amazing grace of the family. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. After hearing this verse, I understood that it is only through Jesus that we are made holy. On the third day of my board exam, my fever had gotten so bad that it impaired my vision, and the risk of not completing the test or failing the exam completely was so high. So I closed my eyes and prayed to God for the first 10 minutes of the board exam. 
by God's grace, I passed the board exam. Jesus transformed my fear of failing into faith in his sovereignty. There was an incident when I was going home from work at 3 a.m. where the taxi driver stopped in the middle of an avenue and pointed a gun straight at my face. Instead of fear and panic, I surprisingly had peace, knowing that death was my way home to heaven. His finger rested on the trigger, but then God intervened. Instead of shooting, he only demanded my coat and bag and then shouted for me to get out of the car. Praise God. So I found myself standing in the middle of a dark, cold avenue. But then a kind person saw me and drove me to the nearest police station. I knew I had been saved by God's mercy and grace, so I decided to forgive the taxi driver. The police said that it would be very difficult to locate the driver because the taxi was unlicensed. Nevertheless, I left the matter to the Lord's hands knowing that the driver may have managed to escape temporal justice, but he could never escape a righteous and sovereign God. Jesus transformed my fear of death into faith in his gift of eternal life. All these life-changing encounters with the Lord reminded me of my issue of unforgiveness with my dad. I thought I had outgrown the pain due to work, but God convicted me through my discipleship group to release my dad from my heart to prison. By God's grace and power, I was able to forgive my dad. Since then, I have been understanding, patient, and intentional with my dad. I send him random messages to tell him that I love him. During the pandemic, I read a quote that said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. God impressed upon my heart to go home to my province and intentionally disciple my family. After praying and contemplating, I discontinued my services to my company and even turned down an offer to work abroad. Also, the Lord prompted me and my boyfriend to part ways so we could both honor God effectively. What followed was a series of emptying, pruning, and persevering. My first year of intentionally discipling my family was an uphill battle. My dad had some ingrained habits that he refused to give up, which often led to conflicts with my mom. Meanwhile, my mom was very devoted to the religious traditions and rituals that she had grown up with. My brother was very defensive of his faith and skeptical of CCF. Despite all these challenges, God empowered me to pray more, model Christ-likeness, and intentionally disciple. He taught me to stand up for the salvation of my family. By the grace of God, my family accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior.
It was not easy, but it was all worth it. My parents are now part of a discipleship group while my sister is in the Elevate group at CCF Dumaguete. Surrendering completely to God's plan and mission for my life has opened me to a greater life that I could ever imagine or achieve on my own. My life is not perfect and it will never be. I still face difficulties, but I know that the God I serve is a sovereign God who will cause all things to work together for good. Today, I remain committed to deepening my relationship with Jesus and using my life as God's instrument for his salvation plan to others. I am Grace Flores, a recipient of God's amazing grace. All glory be to God. Praise God indeed. Grace, stay where you are. We'd love to pray for you. By the way, this is Jade. Jade is Grace's small group leader. You see, this is what we're all about. We're not meant to travel the Christian life, the Christian road by ourselves. And sometimes we need people, sometimes it is the D group leader who gives us a little push off the diving board. But in the end, it's really God who dictates our steps. Shall we pray for Grace and for Jade? To extend your right hand if you wish to bless them. Father, we praise you and thank you uh, that Grace and Jade can be with us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the amazing story that you are continuing to write in Grace's life. Indeed, she reminds us that your grace is truly amazing. And Father, we pray for the continued spiritual growth of their entire family and that they, you, will be, uh, you will use them, Lord, to reach many more people for you. Continue also to guide and protect Jade and their entire group that you will cause them to multiply and bear fruit that many more um, men and women through this mixed group will come to know you and serve you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for blessing us with our story today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Okay, so we're now at the end. So what is the application to us? Two things, as we said in the beginning. If you are a follower of Jesus, he wants to make you to make a difference for him right now. How? Trust his sovereignty. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants to make the greatest difference in your life now. How is that? Let's just go quickly through our points and how they apply. Let's talk about the sovereignty of God. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Haman had a plot to destroy the people of God. <clears throat> Satan has a plan to destroy the people of this earth, destroy their future, their faith, their relationships. But God has a more amazing plan, a sovereign plan. He gave Jesus that we may have life and have it abundantly. So the challenge, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you telling people about that life that they can have in Jesus? And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, would you like that life, that abundant life to be your life today? Second application, surrender to God. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we know this story. He knelt and he prayed before the Father and he said, 
If you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And he sweat drops of blood on the ground. Jesus surrendered to his Father God. If you're a follower of Jesus, will you be fully surrendered to God's mission for your life? And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, know that Jesus 2,000 years ago surrendered himself completely so that you may know him as your Lord and Savior. And finally, stand in the gap. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, know that Jesus stood in the gap for you. And I pray that today you will raise your hand and say, Lord Jesus, I want you. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. But in the meantime, if you are already a follower of Jesus, I'd like to challenge you. As a matter of fact, how many of you here are members of a small group, but you are not yet leading your own group? You understand my question? Well, don't be embarrassed. We all go through this spiritual journey. How many of you here are part of a small group, but you are not yet leading your own group? Can I see your hands, please? I'm sure there'll be, as a matter of fact, you know, why don't you, why don't you men and women please stand? We would like to encourage you. All of you who are part of a small group, but not yet leading your own group, don't be embarrassed. You're already on God's spiritual journey but God wants to take you further. And I'd like to give you a little push off that diving board, if you'll allow me. I pray that this year, you will make a commitment today, that this year, you will begin to disciple one person, two people, three people, and by God working through you, trusting that God is sovereign, surrendering to Him and standing in the gap, you will begin your own small group this year. Is that okay? Will we trust God for that? Let's give him the glory. Praise God. So as we pray, you may sit down. Let's all pray together as we close. Father God, we thank you so much for this amazing story of Queen Esther. And through her life, through Mordecai's life, through everything that happened, we learn and are reminded you are sovereign, Therefore, we should be surrendered to you, and when you tell us to stand in the gap, we should do it. Father, I pray for all of those men and women who stood up just a while ago. And I pray that because they are so inspired by your love, so inspired by your grace in their lives, they will make good the commitment they have made before you. I pray, Lord, that you will grant them that blessing of seeing people spiritually born before their eyes and granting them the privilege of escorting them through their own spiritual journey. And I pray for those who have yet to make that decision. I pray they make that decision right now, today, to make you their Lord and Savior. And if you're in this place right now, and that is you, even if you're watching online, just tell Jesus, Lord, you are sovereign. In your sovereign plan, you 
came down to earth in the form of man, Lord Jesus, and you died the most cruel, painful, and awful death for me to pay for my debt of sin to you. Lord Jesus, no one could ever have devised a plan as great as that, but you did it for me. And so, Jesus, now I declare with all of my heart, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, I give my life to you. Make a change in my life so that through me you can make a change in other people's lives. Thank you, God, for this time. We bless your name. We praise and thank you. Give you all honor and glory and all your people said in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all.